I'm doing it every day. And it's one of those things where you get into a routine which you've got to have. And if you've got that, that certainly helps. But that, that whole thing builds you into that discipline that we talk about. I mean, by getting up every day, just like, I mean, look at you. I mean, you know, you're getting up every day. Go on, tell me more. <laughs> no, but, but the reality is you wouldn't look the way you look if you didn't do it every day. Sure. You got to do it every day. Obviously, there are breaks here and there, but you got to eat right. It's everything that goes into the whole thing. And Sleep. Yeah, it's sleep. It's eating right. You know, it doesn't mean we don't have fun and go out and have beers here and there. I mean, of course, sure. you've got to treat yourself once in a while, too. But the reality is you've got to figure out, OK, and, you know, I joked about it today. John and I were just down on the beach today and, and I was saying, you know, when the sun you, was coming up. Yeah, the sun had not come right? up. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> but, you know, if you're hooting with the owls, you still got to soar with the eagles. Uh, no matter how late you go out, you still have to show up in the gym the next day. Yeah. And that's part of the discipline, because if you can do that, then you can do that with your trading. That way you're taking, and the biggest key I can tell you is you got to take emotion out of it. It's not about emotion. It's about when I put on a trade, what am I going to do? And if you already know that, the second you put it on makes it a lot easier. Hey friends, my name is Bedros Koulian and this is The Empire Show. It's an inside look and today we've got two really awesome guests because they're fellow Armenians and there aren't too many Armenians making a big dent in the entrepreneurial world and in the industry that we serve. So I'm really happy to have these guys here. You might know them from CNBC Halftime Report and Fast Money. Uh, John and Pete Najarian. Welcome. Yes, sir. Nice to see you, Bedrock. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for being here in the Empire Studios. So, Love it. It's cool. Um, man, what you guys do is pretty awesome. You take really investing and growing your money and you simplify it. Yeah. So explain to us how you got into this because when I look at you, you guys are two towering men. <laughs> Right. We look and like typical Wall Street, don't we? Yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. <laughs> the, the beard, the hair, yeah, yeah, the the blingage, and, yeah. and most importantly, the fact that you came from the NFL. Yes, sir. Right, Pete. And um, so, how do you even get into this? How do you even end up on TV? How do you understand trading and money so well? John, I'll let you start off. You're a little older, so you get, All right. you get to try. All right. <laughs> um, I played uh, four games for the Bears, Bedros, and then I got cut. And oh, I got you cut. were in the NFL too. I apologize. Well, yeah, no, know. no, but I never. I mean, Pete played for seasons, six years in the NFL gotcha. and World League. I played four games. So that's why you now, didn't do wrong. I don't understand sports, but I know our viewers and listeners do. So yeah. explain the position, the era, the sure. time that you played. So I was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Um, the same draft as Mike Singletary, Todd Bell, Leslie Frazier. Many of these guys are coaching, of course, in the NFL right sure. now. Um, Keith Van Horn. Mm. Um, so many people that were instrumental to them going to the Super Bowl. I, unfortunately, was not. Um, I got to play four games because Mike held out on his contract, Singletary, that is. Okay. He's in the Hall of Fame right now, and he's kept me from being in the Hall of Fame. Gotcha. But it brought me to Chicago, Bedros, and I had a great time with the Bears. And, it, you know, that discipline, which is why I really gravitated towards what you do, because the discipline that it takes to be a professional athlete is the same discipline that you have to have to be a successful entrepreneur sure. or a successful trader. Gotcha. And so that's really how I got into the business. And then Pete was playing all over the NFL for mm. the next six years because he's six years younger than me. They always say, 
oh, you guys are twins. And I'm like, it was really? One of us should be offended. Right? <laughs> are either one of you offended? <laughs> no, I'm not. Long gestation and tough on our mom. Got it. Yeah. For six years for her to carry <laughs> Pete. But um, it was uh, Pete every year that when we were trading would come through Chicago, either to or from the teams he was playing for, yeah. stop, check it out for a week, and then continue on down to Tampa, Minnesota, Seattle, wherever he was going. Um, and at the end of his playing days, he said, I'm going to come down there and trade because this is cool. All right. But, I mean, you, you played those four games for the Bears. At that time, you didn't know anything about trading. Nope, didn't. I mean, you were like, hey, this is my career. I'm going all in. Yeah, and right? I hated it. Really? Hated it. Yeah. Why did you hate it? Because <laughs> um, I didn't understand it. I mean, we can all figure if you buy a stock at one price and you can sell it at a higher price, you made money. Um, but I wasn't just trading stock. I was trading options. And options um, are mystifying to a lot of people. And for me, it took a good three months before I really understood anything about what was going on. So instead, and no one was teaching me, Bedros, because back then um, it was a big secret. They didn't want you to know because then you'd take food off their plate, right? Gotcha. And I when mean, is back then? Are we talking 90s? 1981. 81. That's how old I am. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. 1980 is when I came to the United States. We escaped. By the way, were you guys born here in the States? or We were. You were. San yeah, Francisco. We yep. San Francisco. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. A lot of Armenians there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of Fresno, <laughs> Glendale. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 You, you know, the. so my dad, is, as you guys know, Glendale mm -hmm. is like the Armenian capital oh, yeah. here uh, nearest L.A. And... Um, my dad decided that we're going to stay in the Santa Ana, and then ultimately we moved to Anaheim, which is about 45 minutes away from Glendale. And for immigrants, that might as well be 45 days away, right? Yeah. I mean, we're going to go like on horse and buggy back then. We came here very broke. And <laughs> later I asked my dad, why not go to Glendale, where everyone speaks Armenian, they're going to help each other out. He goes, I wanted you guys to assimilate, meaning myself yep. and my brother and sister. And they, I believe that was the greatest gift he gave me, and it was the harshest punishment that he and my mom had here to in the be States. away from everybody mm -hmm. yeah, right yeah. yeah to to have to deal with so much bigotry and go back to your own effing country like i would hear that mm -hmm. um now if we were in glendale where everyone's armenian you wouldn't hear that because glendale is pretty much a miniature armenia right yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so anyway it's it, it, it's nuts how things unfolded i'm just so grateful that my dad decided to do things the hard way for us yeah. um, and so, i loved by the way you have a great reading voice because I'm dyslexic, um, so I have a lot of uh, learning disabilities yeah. that go along with that. I think Pete has some of that some too. Of that, yeah. But I listened to your book, so I heard you read it. Yeah. Um, and the book is great. Man Up is a great book. Um, you do warts and all. So it's totally um, exposing yourself and yeah. saying, this is why you can do it too, because I did it. Look yeah. at all these things I screwed up at. Mm -hmm. And then you overcame it. And you did it because you stuck with it. Yeah, which is exactly what you've done, obviously, mm -hmm. since you've, you, so you get out of sports and you decide that I'm going to take this path. Mm -hmm. And arguably, you admit it, you didn't know what options were mm -hmm. from stock. So I, I'm 45, I still don't know. Ex right. Explain it to me and explain it to our audience because we might want to trade options. Sure. <laughs> um, it, it's, believe it or not, it's one of the ways Donald Trump made an awful lot of money because not real estate it is with real estate but options on real estate in other words just like disneyland let's use that instead because you know right and left they're going to say oh he's sticking up for trump or not sure sure let's look at disneyland disney world in orlando was the vision of walt disney 
But if anybody knew he was buying up land in Orlando, it would have gone up like crazy. Mm -hmm. So what he did was he'd go to you and he'd knock on your door and say, Bedros, you've got this 77 acres. You willing to sell it? And Bedros would say, for the right price. And then he'd say, okay, how's $3 million sound? And let's say that you said, yeah, that sounds great. I'll buy an option for $300,000. I'll give you $300,000 to have the right to buy your property for one year. Is that a deal? And you'd go, and if you don't buy it in a year, you walk away and I keep the 300000 And he says, yes. Now, this isn't Walt Disney. This is one of his agents right. doing this. He went all around Orlando doing that. And he didn't exercise that right to buy those properties until he had enough land. If anybody knew before that, of course, again, the price, price would go up like crazy. Up. So an option is really just saying, you know what? I think uh, I think Facebook's going to go higher, Bedros. Um, I think it's going to be more like $250 a share instead of $215 by June. Okay, what if I buy an option that gives me the right to buy it at $215, but I don't buy the stock now. I give you some money for the right to take it from you at $215. And a lot of people will say, yeah, you can have that. You can take my stock at 215 if you're going to give me 20 grand right now. Sure. That's an option. Is the benefit of that, am I hedging my bets? Is that what I'm doing? Yep. What's, like, what's the benefit? Controlling your risk. Leverage. And leverage. Yep. Gotcha. And that's what really attracted him to it because Pete was pre-med and I'll let him tell his backstory, <laughs> but very smart guy. Uh, I've never seen anybody learn options faster than Pete. Gotcha. Well, first of all, Pete, yeah. tell us how you ended up playing for Seattle, Seattle, Seattle Minnesota, Tampa. I played. Uh, I, I I was a sort of part of the Raiders franchise, but I wasn't actually on the team at the time. <laughs> I, I had a tryout, and then they paid me to stay there, which is illegal, but <laughs> it oh, wow. happened. But it's the Raiders. Uh, sure. But I was able to go surfing every day and eat, and as long Very as cool. I understood the playbook, which I was given. Uh, I was there at their beck and call if they needed me. Boom, sure. I was right there in town. And your position was what? Middle linebacker. Middle. Okay, so you're both yeah. linebackers. Yeah. Well. Okay. And then I actually ended up playing in the World Football League in Sacramento, California, which uh, gave me the opportunity to travel and play over in Europe, play up in Canada. I actually even for a brief time played in the CFL for the Toronto Argonauts. So I really bounced all over the place because football was my passion. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. There was not, nothing about it. I didn't love, even with all the pain and all the you know anxiety and losses and wins and everything else, the greatest sport in the world. I think. How many years did you play football? Uh, well, in total, <laughs> I'm not sure, but um, in terms of uh, professionally, I think I had an extra six years after college. Really? So I banged around, had a lot of operations, had just about everything on my body break, and uh, but that's just part of the game. Yeah. And and hopefully, you know, you're, you always hope your brain's going to be okay for the extended future. Uh, this whole CTE thing is an issue that were a lot you of guys, guys more were you guys with. aware of that as much as we are today? No, no, no. I would say you know what uh, the the biggest concerns when I was playing, which is just a few years after John, really was your knees, your knees, your shoulders, those kinds of things. That's what you're worried about. Uh, nobody really fully comprehended, I don't think, the issues with the brain right. until that became far more popular and then suddenly everybody was talking about Well, that. I imagine when you get a concussion, you're not immediately getting those side effects until years down, the, or, or the effects years down the line, right? The, the major effects. Yeah, the yes. major you're effects. Getting, you're getting the, the short-term effects for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people ask me all the time, how many concussions do you think you had? And I, I'd say, well, uh, it triple digits, maybe more. And people look at you know, they think you're crazy. But if you include all the times you see stars, all the times that you had these episodes where you couldn't see your vision was blurred, you couldn't see the sideline, all the rest of that, 
John played in Soldier Field when he was with the Bears for those four games that he talked about. I'll tell you what, that was one of the hardest surfaces in all the NFL. So when you hit there with your head first, it just caused your whole brain just to feel like, yeah. you know. This you, is pre-turf and all yeah, the rubberized. This is, yeah, this is right? just, I mean, there was a, it was it was like a carpet cement. a quarter inch thick, and then there was a quarter inch pad on top of cement. And when I played in the Big Ten, there was, only, there was only one school in the Big Ten when I was playing college football with natural grass. That yeah. was Purdue. So everything was on artificial turf. We played in a dome in Minnesota. So, you know, when you go through something, something like that, the number of times that your head absolutely was the first part of your body to hit the ground is you can't even add up yeah, the numbers. Yeah. So, nice. but, you know, the equipment was pretty good. And as long as... Uh, Fortunately, I don't feel any side effects. I recently did a, a, a scan and study of my brain and how I'm functioning and everything else. And so far, so good. Good. Pretty pleased about how things are going. Good, but so good. I banged around in the, in, in the league for a long time and had a lot of fun. And I always stopped by and saw John. No matter where I was, I'd stop by for a week, go down to the trading floor. It was very interesting. But I was pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor. But as time went on and on and on, suddenly I'm pushing 30 years old. And I didn't know if I really wanted the, or had the patience to wait and go to medical school. So I just called John one day from Sacramento, California. I said, hey, my season's over. We won the World Bowl, which was really exciting in 1992. Yeah. And uh, didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I'd have to wait almost a full year for med school. So I just told John, I said, is it okay if I come there and just give this a shot for a while? And I did. And uh, he was very kind to say I was smart. And he was very, very kind to say that I learned fast. But I got to tell you, Bedros, I sat there for three, four, five months just staring up and just trying to figure out what in the world was going on. Yeah. It is a, options can be an extremely confusing world. Uh, but the options then and the options of what we do now is completely different. How now, so? well, now we're market takers. In other words, we decide what we want to do. When you stand on the trading floor, you literally are like a bookie. I mean, you're standing there and you take one side or either side of what somebody's trying to do. If they want to buy, you sell it. If they want to sell, you're the buyer. That's completely different than what we do now. Now we choose. We're, we, we're watching the markets. We're looking for what we call unusual option activity. When we see that, that's something where we say, you know what? Somebody just bought 10,000 of these. That's a huge number. This is a big commitment. They think the stock is going to be moving to the upside in a short period of time. I'm going to buy along with them. So now we have a choice. So it's a lot different than when you stood on the trading floor trying to figure out how yeah. to manage all these different positions, all these strikes and all these months. And that was something that was very, very difficult early on for me. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm curious, why the love of options? Is there some something about options that really attracted you guys well there's there's a if whole you were to coach me would you say hey <laughs> hey hey Bedros, you've got this money put it in options instead of trading something else yeah Why? i would because you can define your risk when you enter okay so for instance facebook right now to pick that one that i used earlier it's 215 dollars a share so a thousand shares is two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. okay that's easy math 215 times a thousand so what if i told you you can control that same amount of stock, not with 215000 not with 100000 but with $10,000, $20,000. You'd say, is this black magic, John? What are you doing? Right. And I'd say, well, the trade-off, Bedros, is that you only get the right to buy that stock for one week, two weeks, three weeks. You pick the time frame. So if you want it, the longer you want to own it, the more it's going to cost you. If you're saying, I think this thing's going to move right away, Because John, I mitigate the risk the longer I own it. Yep. Or the longer I have the right to own it. Yep. 
Got it. But now you, when you're buying short term, you're saying, I think something's going to happen right now. I think it's going to happen fast. And because of that, um, I'm willing to buy a two-week option, meaning literally that. You have 14 days to be right or that option is worthless. And maybe you paid me $15,000 for that right. Now, if you are correct and the stock goes up during those two weeks, maybe you turn 15 into 45. So you just tripled your money. For you to triple your money on a $215 stock, <laughs> buying the stock, it needs to go over $600 a share. So what, that's why we Got would it. say you can define your risk. Like Pete says, you get leverage. Leverage is the key. Yeah. And it keeps you interested. You're focused on this thing all the time. And you're a disciplined guy. I mean, and we like to think we're disciplined people as well because you have to have discipline to say, you know what, I was wrong on this trade. Or if you're right, then when do you start taking some of it off? And, and that's a big element too because if you are so right and you're a pig and you wait too long and then all of a sudden the stock pulls back for whatever reason, something happens in the Middle East, something, whatever it yep. might be, and the market starts to come back down and your stock comes down with it, Facebook in your example, mm -hmm. and you miss the opportunity, it's because you didn't have the discipline to say, I need to take this off. What does it mean These when double. you say, if you're a pig? Well, pigs stay too long, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And, and so, you know, it's one of these situations where you can't be a pig, you have to be disciplined, you have to make decisions on, okay, like John and I, when we make a trade, the second I put on a trade, I know exactly my exit points. The second I put it on, if I pay $2 for an option and it goes the wrong way, I'm gonna be out at a dollar. On the other hand, if it goes higher, I'm gonna be out when it doubles, and then I'm going to hold some of it for anything more. Sure. Or I might trade the whole thing and just be out that because is it disciplined. worked out. Right. That is but you've got to be disciplined. You we, have to be. That's the discipline. Because the greed glands can kick oh, in very quickly. Oh, yeah. Quick. And it's no awesome. different than at the blackjack table or a poker table. Right. <laughs> right. It is no different than that. That's exactly right. Because a lot of people, Bedros, will say, well, I'm playing with the house's money. I mean, I bought this call or I bought the stock. Doesn't matter. Um, and it's working for me. Uh, and now I'm playing with the house's money. It's always your money. If you put money down, it's your money. Mm -hmm. And so every second that goes by, you ask yourself, would I put down the same amount of money now as I did three days ago when the stock was 215? Now it's 225. It made a big pop. I want to take some of that money off the table. Other people might say, well, you're playing with the house's money. You're already $10 in the money, 10 money good, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Gamblers ruin. What you want is discipline, and you have to be disciplined about taking profits, you know, it's like I say, from your book, it's the same thing. If you're not managing your business and saying, you know what? Yeah, business is great, but I don't really care if I'm losing money here or there because all this, all these new customers are pouring in. I'm making all this right. money. As soon as you're not disciplined, that can go away like that. Yep. And so what we preach is you got to be disciplined about taking profits as well as cutting losses. Yep. And if you do that, you can be at the tables a long time. So with that comes a lot of emotional discipline as well, not just money discipline and controlling your greed, but emotional discipline because of the highs and lows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've seen in years past economic crashes where people have committed suicides. Oh yeah. yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. In the most recent housing economic crash and then in the 80s, mm -hmm. the stock market crash. And so where does emotional discipline come into that? And how do you guys manage your emotional discipline? I think the greatest thing that we both took away from our sports careers was the discipline that we're talking about. And so you've got to be disciplined. And it doesn't just start with the, the, at the middle of the day while you're trading. It starts the beginning of the day. And every day, John and I both start off, we work out. We have a routine. 
and everything. You guys part work of out that. together? Oftentimes, oh, he's in Minneapolis and <laughs> oh, I'm in, Chicago. in Chicago. Oftentimes when we used we're to together. Though. We yeah. would. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, it's something I know he's doing it every day. I'm doing it every day. And it's one of those things where you get into a routine, which you've got to have. And if you've got that, that certainly helps. But that that whole thing builds you into that discipline that we talk about. I mean, by getting up every day, just like, I mean, look at you. I mean, you know, you're getting up every day. Go on, tell me more. <laughs> no, but but the reality is you wouldn't look the way you look if you didn't do it every day. Sure. You got to do it every day. Obviously, there are breaks here and there, but you got to eat right. It's everything that goes into the whole thing. And Sleep. Yeah, it's sleep. It's eating right. You know, it doesn't mean we don't have fun and go out and have beers here and there. I mean, of course, sure. you've got to treat yourself once in a while, too. But the reality is you've got to figure out, OK, and, you know, I joked about it today. John and I were just down on the beach today and, and I was saying, you know, when the if, sun was coming up. Yeah, the sun had not come right? up. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you're hooting with the owls, you still got to soar with the eagles. Uh, no matter how late you go out, you still have to show up in the gym the next day. Yeah. And that's part of the discipline, because if you can do that, and you can do that with your trading. That way you're taking, and the biggest key I can tell you is you got to take emotion out of it. It's not about emotion. It's about when I put on a trade, what am I going to do? And if you already know that, the second you put it on makes it a lot easier. Fedros, let me tell you, uh, as far as when you're uh, experiencing, you know, those endorphins when they're popping, sure. whether it's the gym, whether you're running, whether it's, you know, you, you know, on the on a conference call, getting a bunch of guys fired up. <laughs> I mean, those those uh, endorphins pop and that yeah. feels great. Yeah. And yeah. it's like applause. Pete and I always said, you know, that's why you like it in the pit. It's not really there anymore. But when there was pit trading, mm -hmm. it was just like applause. It was like you were hearing 70,000 people mm -hmm. chanting, bed rose, bed rose. <laughs> sure. You know, it's that like that nuts. because, yeah. you know, the hair goes up on the yeah, back yeah, of your neck yeah. because you're winning. Um, but quick story, uh, there's this uh, coach that I know um, for emotion, and she's like the lady on Billions, and she coaches, and Pete mm -hmm. hates this story, but I love it. Um, so what she does is, because I asked her, um, what, what's the most common question you, you get asked? And she said, go ahead and ask me. She said, I guarantee you're going to ask me the most common question. And I said, all right, I will. Why does losing a little hurt more than winning a lot. You know, put it in numbers. If I lose 10,000, but I make 100,000, the 100,000 felt great, Pedros, but the 10,000 is what I'm going to focus on. I just yeah. can't get it out of my head. That's a really I good question. hate losing. And she's, and you know, another Armenian, um, uh, Bilzerian said the same yeah. thing. He said, I damn near quit poker. Hmm. I think he did say he quit, but I think he's back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he said, because I can't stand losing. I lose 5,000 bucks, I'm freaking pulling my hair out. And so I asked her that question then. Why does losing hurt more than winning wins? And she said, okay, John, it's like this. You're a wolf, you're the alpha. You're in Yellowstone and you take down an elk. You freaking nail it from behind. You freaking you know, go for the jugular, you kill that elk, you eat first. And everybody from that pack comes and they all sniff you. And, you know, they're licking your fur and things like that. They're saying, great job, Bedros. Great job. You're the man. And that feels great. That sure. wolf, that alpha, that's what he lives for. But then that alpha goes somewhere where he's not supposed to be. He's scouting for another elk, but all of a sudden he smells another pack that has marked that turf. That's why losing hurts more than winning feels good. Because that's got to make an imprint in his brain that he knows, I can't screw up. I can't be back here and be away from my pack in somebody else's territory or I'll be dead next time. Hmm.
because if I make this mistake too many times, I'm dead. Right. I can take down elk all my life. And, you know, that's going to feel great. That's but you screw up on that one thing and you keep doing it, you'll yeah. lose. Yeah, yeah. Sooner or later, it's going to bite you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious. Let's, let's hear your morning routines because <laughs> I love talking about morning routines. Because I believe if you win the morning, you win the day, you win the day, you win the week. Mm -hmm. So why don't you start, John? Sure. What time do you wake up? Um, I wake up at, uh, if I'm in Chicago, I wake up at 5.30. Get up, um, brush my teeth, literally just throw water on my face, drive into the office. We have a workout facility right there at uh, the same building next door to where uh, my office is. And uh, I go in there and I work out till about from, let's say, 6 o'clock till about 8 o'clock. So you're fasted. You haven't eaten breakfast yet. Haven't eaten anything. I'm just on coffee. Yep. I'm just down in coffee. The and closer I'm the, spew. I'm, yeah. I'm on the stair climber. I'm on the treadmill. And then I get the weights done at the end. And I, didn't, I wasn't doing the weights for a lot of years. And then Pete, who doesn't do as much cardio as me, told me, you got to do more weights. So then I started doing the weights. Now I feel better. I have more, the core is stronger sure. and all the rest. So that's that's the start of my day. And while I'm on the treadmill, I'm watching CNBC. I'm watching Bloomberg. I'm listening to Bloomberg. And I'm sitting there um, either putting out a tweet about stocks that I'm trading already in the pre-market. So in other words, I'm already set up. And if I'm in New York, I've already made trades probably for the first hour uh, before the market opens. Yep. I've already made trades. Then I go up and work out and then get ready just before the market opens at 9.30 Eastern. And what is breakfast? After your workout, I'm guessing you eat something. Yep, usually egg white omelet um, with whatever I want in it. But, you know, whether it's bacon, whether it's avocado, cheese, anything in it, but it's almost always egg white omelet. Gotcha. Pete, what about you? What's your morning routine? Yeah, I wake up uh, a little before 5. Um, I love to get into the gym early, but I do eat a little something beforehand. I always take a protein shake. I always take all my vitamins for the day, and then I eat a couple of protein bars. I get into the gym. It's always cardio first because I hate it. I absolutely <laughs> hate cardio with a passion. I mean, but, but by the way, can, I'm going to stop you right there. Guys, <laughs> guys and gals, listen up, listen up. We've heard this numerous times over and over again. You do the thing that you hate and yeah. despise the most. Right. Because if you make a list of three things to do and the thing you hate the most is number three, yeah. you're going to avoid number one and two just to never get to that. <laughs> put, put the thing you hate most at the top and yeah. dominate through it. I love that. Go I on. absolutely hate it. I do 20 minutes of that. Then I'll do about 45 minutes of weights. Yeah. And then I'll do some stretching. And then I get the heck out of there. I'm done. And I've been watching TV while I'm doing the cardio. But yeah. the rest of it... And I don't rest, Bedros. I, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know how you and John do it, but um, I superset everything, yeah, no matter here. what I'm yeah, doing, because yeah. I don't understand why I'm going to wait three minutes before my next set. Yeah. I'd rather just keep moving around the weight room, and I'm doing four or five different you know, exercises, and I just continue to move around. Yeah. And I try to do four of each, so it's you know, 20 different you know, rounds or whatever. Yeah. Um, once I get out of there, I love getting in front of the uh, the computer screens. Now I'm making my coffee that John's talking about. Now it's coffee time for me. Mm -hmm. So I got the coffee, and my wife is a wonderful lady who. Uh, so you work out without coffee? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. The coffee doesn't start till I get back home. So I'm beast. doing the protein, man. Yeah, I'm yeah, doing yeah. the protein drinks and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it, and and I, the endorphins are going. Sure. And my my body's ready to go. My yeah. brain's ready to think. Sure. And so mm -hmm. I. I feel really fantastic. The days where I've missed workouts or I've gotten up later than I should have so I'm not going to be able to make it, I'm frustrated all day. I'm mm. angry at myself for doing that. So 
my goal is basically seven days a week to get into the gym. Good for you. So I'm guessing you guys were successful at everything you did ever since you were kids, right? <laughs> it just makes sense that you would just be tremendous athletes and now you understand how money moves and, and how to trade it. Um, is that how life started for you guys? Um, I won't say we were, uh, speaking for myself, I won't say I was a success at everything. But I did know that there were some things, I knew I was a leader, Pedros, um, because I can't remember from being a Cub Scout on that I wasn't the captain of something, you know, the, the leader of the, whether it's Cub Scouts, whether it's football, yeah. whether it's ski team, because we're skiers, sure. mm -hmm. um, whether it was track. I mean, we both did all that. And by the way, we got bussed into a mostly African-American um, high school. Mm -hmm. So we went to high school with Prince and those guys gotcha. in Minneapolis, because I grew up, we grew up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. My dad took the job chief of surgery in Minneapolis. And we were all going to, you know, regular, it was in the city, but it was like a white suburban high school. Everybody there, you know, there were probably 30 black kids at the, high, at the junior high. Yeah. But then they started busing us to the African-American or black high school. And now we're in that You're minority. You're the minority, yeah. Now we're, we're, the, yeah. we're the... How was that? How was that experience? Oh, that was different. Now I know how you felt sure. because of that. Yeah. Because, But it, just like with your dad, it's one of the best gifts our dad ever gave yeah. us because he said, look, guys, obviously I can send you to a private school. Our dad was a very successful sure. transplant Chief of surgery. surgery. Yeah. But he said, give this a shot. If you can make it here, it's a magnet school. They got great teachers. If you can make it here... This will serve you better in life than just going there with all those, you know, more or less, you know, yeah. snotty rich kids or whatever. Privileged, so yeah. we said, let's give it a shot. I was six years older than Pete, so I went there. There was only one other white guy on the football team when I got there. <laughs> they gave me my, uh, they gave you, you know, your helmet, your shoes, shoulder pads, socks, jocks, T-shirt. They gave you all that at the cage yeah. when you checked in. They took everything but my helmet, my spikes and my shoulder pads they being the other football players gotcha took it as i walked through to get to my locker <laughs> so i'm sitting there by my locker and i'm just going well this sucks <laughs> you know they took it's just like the day, day one kind of yeah day. and i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sophomore in high school welcome to Central and i just moved to an all-black high school sure. i didn't shower for the first two weeks Pedro. oh sure no i mean screw that i wasn't going to go in the shower with these guys no. because but then finally um, I uh, broke through, and uh, those, those are some of my best friends to this day. Huh. I mean, some fabulous guys. But they also were, you know, being really tough because sure. here's a white guy coming into our locker room. Right. The F is he doing here? <laughs> no. You know what I mean? No. They didn't appreciate it um, because it was their clique. And did you win you their respect in? on the field, or did you just win them over in general over time? I think on the field, on the field. because when, when you, you know, I know you're a big fan of SEALs uh, and military folks, as we both are, and I think there's something for being out there and bleeding with people, mm -hmm. um, being out there and knowing that they did the same stuff you did. So whether it's going out into the ocean when it's freezing cold or whether it's, you know, running when it's 105 degrees and doing wind sprints, you know, and everybody's just dripping with sweat yeah. and everything. Those guys are your brothers after you've done that with them. Yeah, yeah. ain't that something? <laughs> ain't that something? So uh, I, I, I want to let you guys know, and this isn't me sucking up or kissing up to you. This is, this is a fact <laughs> All right. uh, because I spend time watching your show. Um, you do realize you guys have a very specific gift. 
And it's not, I don't think, the gift of options trading. Would you say there's others who can trade options mm-hmm. as sure. good as you can probably, yep. right? Yep. The gift that I've seen that you guys have really well is you know how to hold attention of society now who has very short attention spans, number one. <laughs> and two, you've got the gift of making it easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And what I haven't understood in 45 years, you explained options to me in what took three minutes. <laughs> and I see you do that over and over and over again. And I'm curious, <laughs> oh, he's is, reaching that, back on is that what happens here? Follow the smart money, yep. this recent book. Yep. Tell me about this. Well, you know, it's, it sort of defines, we, we really wanted people to understand the world of options in a better way than they do. And I think that since we started on CNBC back in 2007, one of the things, the goals was, you know, early on was keep it simple, keep it simple. Try to make sure that people really can understand. So without trying to be, you know, look like the guy from Harvard who understands this, that, and the other, we wanted to bring it down so that people could understand something that is very complex, really, when you mm-hmm. look at it. And so one of the things about our book is we want to teach people how to do that. How do you understand how they're priced? What all these Greeks mean when you're talking about the pricing of these options and all that? And and I think in our book, we've I think we managed to do a pretty good job of simplifying, not oversimplifying, but simplifying what the world is of derivatives, of the options world that we're in. And so my goal since day one with CNBC was I want people to understand what Warren Buffett's doing because he trades a lot of options, what what. Uh, Icon's doing because he trades a lot of options. Everybody thought that options are just for these crazy guys in Chicago and maybe maybe some of the guys on the P-Coast in San Francisco and some of the other exchanges. The reality is some of the biggest, smartest, and quite frankly, guys over the age of 70 who manage billions and billions of dollars, Bedros, these guys all use options. And, and, and it's amazing, but Warren Buffett probably uses them far more than everybody <laughs> would ever understand. Yeah, yeah. And yet he's this conservative old man from Omaha, Nebraska, and all shucks and all the rest of that. He's not all shucks. This guy's a genius who's figured out the options world. That's how oftentimes these guys can get themselves into position ahead of time, because until they own a certain percentage of the stock, they don't have to file that they've been buying it. Once you get to a certain level, now you've got to file gotcha. and everybody finds out. Well, if you're in the options world, that they don't have to file that until whenever they they yeah. want to. Which goes back to <laughs> the story, the Disney story that you just said. Yeah, yep, yeah. absolutely. Because if you know <laughs> somebody big is buying up a stock, like when Warren Buffett was buying Apple. Yeah. Now, we didn't know. We knew somebody big was buying it because, again, it's very anonymous. Even at your um, level, hold on, I got to stop you. Even at yeah. your level, you don't Even know. Even at our level. Are, are Some you people you sniff out. Some people you yeah. do okay. sniff so out So are you able to bit. do that? Well, we can guess. We, I mean, there's no but way. But you would we, never go on TV and say, like, hey, I think it's so-and-so buying so-and-so. Probably you? not. Probably, probably not. <laughs> but but here's, here's one. I'll give you two examples. One example of how you could, and that is, for instance, Carl Icahn. Yeah. Carl Icahn had this big fight for herbal life. Um, Ackman, this very smart investor, was short herbal life. First of all, he was dumb, though, to come on TV and tell us and the whole world that he's short this stock. Because when you're shorting a stock, that means you're betting that it's going to go down. Got it. You have sold it with the idea that I want to buy it back at a cheaper price. And as soon as he said he sold it, the stock fell like a rock. Because people are just, you know, at home and everything are going, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, right. well, if he's I, I better it, get I out of this yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Carl Icahn. Shouldn't he be smarter than that? Tonight? He should have. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that, like what do you think said, that 70-year-old dude taught him a lesson. Car- <laughs> or 80. Uh, Carl Icahn stepped in and said, 
I think he's dead wrong. I talked to the company. I think this company should be more like 100 bucks a share. He didn't cover it when it fell to 27 from 50 down to 27. So I'm buying it here at 27. And then the stock takes off to the upside. Hmm. Now, the very next day, we started to see huge options in Herbalife. We knew it wasn't Carl. The reason we knew is when people are that big, Bedros, they don't trade on the exchanges. They pick up a telephone and say, I want to buy these options. You sell them to me over the counter. I don't care what you got to do to hedge yourself. So what we do is we see Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, Barclays, Goldman Sachs, whomever is buying up tons of these calls. Why? Because they sold them to Carl, Mm -hmm. and now they're covering their exposure. So in a situation like that, we know in all likelihood who is buying those options. In the example with uh, Buffett Buffett and Apple, he was buying the crap out of Apple when it was a $140 stock. He was just buying it. By, we didn't know who it was. Right. But we would see options every couple days. All of a sudden, a big slug of options go by. And you go, well, it's got to be some huge hedge fund because they're buying hundreds of millions of dollars. And is that an indicator for the rest of us to go that maybe we should buy too? Yeah. <laughs> it, depending on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a book about that. Yeah. Um, but so that's what this is, though. We wrote the book because. What we do is we have algorithms that follow that kind of activity. It's not John and Pete and our opinions. It's really black and white. We just say if there's big option buying, big blocks of stock, options, futures, um, if there's big uh, buying of institutional size. In other words, we don't care about uh, John buying 20 contracts. We care about somebody who just bought 20,000 contracts, you know, 100 times as big as John. Mm -hmm. I care about that. That's probably a hedge fund who probably has somebody at every conference sitting there. As soon as they hear something, they're texting their boss about what they're hearing at the conference. Everybody else is waiting for that story to get written before they can even see it. But the smart money has commission dollars that they can pay to their brokers. That's not insider trading. They've got people at those conferences and they're buying alternative data and so forth so they can determine What's the web traffic to Netflix like? How many people are downloading the Uber app? Right. Is it people deleting the Lyft app or are they downloading That's more? the alternative data you're talking about. Yeah. Because those are indicators of the success Credit or card failure. usage to do this, that, and the other, whether, whatever, whatever it might yeah. be. Yep. So you just have a machine follow that and then tell us, and those are the ones. We really are coattailers or surfers. Sure. I mean, if, if you wanted to say coattail, that means you know, you're getting on the coattails of a big investor. Surfers sit out there in the waves and they're just waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden the wave starts picking up. Now I start paddling because the wave's picking up and I know if I paddle fast enough, I can get on this wave. That's what we do with smart money. Speak going right back to your gift of how easily you can explain something (laughs) complex. Seriously, you know that's a gift, right? Like the ability to take something complex and dilute it to simplicity is Mm -hmm. is a gift. So thank you. uh, That said, I'm going to ask you two more questions. The first is a cop, a firefighter, a, a, a teacher, um, with their income, their salary, should they be should they be trading stocks and options or what should they be doing? For like, Who's this for? Who should be doing this? I get it, I'm making millions of dollars. Maybe I should be doing it. But what about someone who's starting off in, in business, making uh, 100, 150,000 a year as an entrepreneur, uh, or maybe they're just, they have a job or a career making 100 to 150,000 a year. Is this for them? Yeah, it is because what, 
options can do is, as we said at the top of the interview, mm. you can limit your exposure. In other words, would I rather have $217,000 tied up owning 1,000 shares of Facebook at 217? 217,000 is a condo in a lot of cities. Yep. Yeah. Maybe not out here in LA, Bedros, right. but in a lot of cities, that's a condo. That's a garage, by the way, in New York City. I bet. Uh, but um, that's a condo. Um, that's a lot of money tied up. If I can simulate that, if I'm that fireman or that teacher, and I can simulate that same ownership with fifteen dollars or $20,000, I can spread that risk around. I can have a lot of lines in the water so I'm not just sitting there with one big bet on Facebook. Instead, I've got 10, 12 different smaller bets, but I still have big exposure to the good side. And if it doesn't work out, I've got limited downside because they can't come to you for more money with an option. As long as you're buying it, you've put on all the risk that you're going to put on. And the knowledge, I think, is the key because of the fact that, you know, it gives you leverage. It's something that we'd all like to be able to have. And you, as John says, it defined your risk. You know exactly how much you have on the table. Or if you use them in another way, you can hedge your positions. For somebody who does own stock and they're a little concerned, the markets are all over the place, even as we are sitting here today. I mean, what's going to happen in 2020? There seems like there's a lot of things going on in the world, right? Sure. So there are ways that you can use options just to hedge yourself. In other words, you're buying something that's going to be basically an insurance policy on your stock portfolio. So there's a lot of ways to use the options themselves, leverage being one, but protection as another. It makes a lot of sense. And so in addition to the book, Follow the Smart Money, if our viewers, listeners, they want to learn more from you, mm -hmm. get a little more guidance, where do they go? They could go to marketrebellion.com. Um, on that website, we've got uh, distance learning, we call it, which is basically from their computer, Bedros, they could sit there and go through a tutorial that teaches them chapter by chapter about how to trade options. Um, it tests them before they go on to every chapter. Before it will let them go on, they must achieve a certain score because we don't just want somebody to give us money and then fail. Right. We want them to know that I do know this and I know enough that I can move on to the next chapter. Now then they've built on that and they can build some success rather than just getting out there and saying, ah, I'm going to buy a bunch of these options. Sure. And if they lose, they lose. And yeah. then they probably never trade again. Right. They have a bad taste in their mouth. They tell their friends, family, everyone mm -hmm. around them, this didn't work for me. It's probably not going to work bad for you. Bad experience to tell 10 people, good experience to right. tell one. Right. Okay. So, so marketrebellion.com yeah. yeah. is where they get education from you that yeah. they can then test on before they're yep. allowed to swim freely in the waters. Yeah. Right. Right? right. And then, of course, ways. follow the smart money. Guys, thank you so much for spending Thanks, time with Bedros. us. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> guys and gals, if you like the show, and I know you did, I just want to help you raise your awareness of making money, creating wealth, and leaving a legacy. Do me a favor. Take a screenshot. Tag myself. Tag Pete. Tag John. And, of course, don't forget to tell your mama. We'll see you later.